As I was getting ready this week, I felt like I was being reminded of something. I kind of felt convicted about it. It's, it's easy to uh, 
kind of get down on yourself about where you feel like you're falling short. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, what you're doing in life or, or your relationship with God or your relationship. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to feel so defeated when you're reminded of all the ways that you failed, all the ways that you've fallen short. Um, but while the Holy Spirit may convict us of things that we need to change in our lives, the enemy's the one that's going to remind us of our failures and of how we've fallen short and how we're not good enough and how we can't live up to what we're supposed to be or, or, or who God is. And that's not for, for us to be burdened with. God doesn't see us falling short. We come just as we are. You can't clean yourself up with oily rags, right? There's nothing that we can do to attain that, what God has for us, but to trust in Him and to chase after Him and to follow Him. So I don't know. Maybe that was just for me this morning. I don't know. But uh, don't let the enemy defeat you before you get started. Don't let him beat you down every day. Believe what God says about you. You can come to Him just as you are.
we just want to take a moment this morning and really consider what that means, what your cross means, what coming to an altar means. We want to worship you, God. We want to make you bigger than anything else in our lives, more important. We want to raise you higher than our problems. We want to raise you higher than our finances. We want to raise you higher, Father God, than anything else, our marriage, our relationships, you're greater, you're stronger, you're bigger. We want to put our faith and our trust in you. We want to put our faith and our trust, oh Jesus, in what you did for us on your cross. By dying for us, and by coming to life again and sending your spirit to us that we may have life also, God. We worship you. 
We worship you. We worship you this morning. We make you big in our lives. And Father, as part of our worship this morning, we want to give back into your kingdom. We want to give of the things that you've given to us, God. We want to make you big even in our finances, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we love you, God. Amen and amen. Amen. Why don't you say hello to someone? The ushers are going to go ahead and pass those buckets as part of our worship this morning. If you're a guest with us, don't feel any obligation this morning. We're glad that you're here. Welcome if this is your first time. We're glad that you're here. Second time, we're glad that you're here. If you've been coming for a long time, I'm also glad that you're here. <laughs> so it's good to have you here this morning. Um, looks like we're getting a little bit of rain, so that's something to be excited about, right? Woo! I know, I know it may have messed up your hair, especially Randy's on his way in um, this morning. But it's all right. We'll, we'll take the rain this morning. Uh, it's good to be here. Glad to have everyone here. Uh, we have some announcements coming up here in just a minute. Pastor Corey, uh, our lead pastor, our main pastor, he is off in Austin dropping his daughter off at college. And so you get stuck with me and Greg and, well, you know, we're just going to have a good time, right? And so um, we're glad that you're here. Uh, he sends his, uh, sends his love and, and greetings and all of that, and he covets your prayers as well because some of y'all know how hard it is to drop your child off at college for the first time. So we'll be praying for him and his family and that they have a great time together making memories this weekend. Amen. In fact, let's go ahead and as a church body pray for our pastor and his family. Can we do that together before we do our announcements? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Corey and Melissa Jones and their family, for Jillian and Jackson and Jordan, God, we just ask that you would be with them during this time, during this uh, transition to a new phase of their family. God, we ask that you'd give them strength and you would be with them and protect them, put your angels around them, bless them when they're in their coming and in their going and inspire them and fill them full of your life and your joy and your spirit, God. As a church body, we pray and lift up our pastor before you and we ask that you'd be with them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's take a look at the announcements and then we'll uh, go from there. Welcome to church today. We're so excited to see you here. We got a few announcements for you. First off, community groups, they're restarting again. So if you were previously in a community group, most of them are going to be going and doing it again. If you want to be in a community group, find Pastor G. He'll answer all questions for you. That's all for the community groups. Next announcement. All right, guys. The Finleys have an update. They just ran a VBS up in Alaska. It was awesome. There's pictures on the app. And if you guys are interested in financially supporting them, there's a link that you can do that too. They're hoping to have all their support in by the end of this month. So please go check that out. It's in the app. It's, they have a um, newsletter they send out. Sign up for that. I think that's it. Y'all ready? Guess that's who's it. coming? Bye, guys. Guess who's coming? Guess who's coming? It's Pastor G. Come on up, Pastor G. Bye, guys. Um, <laughs> you guys ever, ever seen a man dragged kicking and screaming into the 21st century? <laughs> Lost all my... But think of the trees I saved. So... That's good, that's good. Uh, thankful that you guys are here today. I know that Will said he was proud of you for braving the rain. 
Um, if you were here last week or watched the service, I'm proud of you for braving the speaker and coming this week. I'm glad you guys, glad you guys are here. Uh, we are going to have a good time today. My driver's license identifies me on the back as a wearer of corrective lenses, all right? Anybody else? Anybody else got that on your license? All right. Always had, never not had that on my license. I have been, I've had significant vision problems for my entire life, right? My Top Gun pilot dreams crashed early. <laughs> early on, I knew that that was not going to happen for me. Uh, and back in the 70s and 80s, uh, I had Coke bottle glasses. You guys remember Coke bottle glasses? The lenses were super thick and the frames were huge. Um, I, not much of a ladies' man in those days with those. I'm, I'm so glad, I'm amazed at how thin lenses are today, but like back in the day, they were thick, thick as a glass on a Coke bottle. And then I remember when I became a teenager, I was so excited to get contacts because I thought this is going to change everything. It did not. It did not. Uh, it didn't do that. Uh, so, but now, at the same time, the lenses that I have relied on throughout my life to help me see things clearly far away are now beginning to prevent me from seeing things clearly up close, which, uh, yeah, you can, I hear the groans. You guys feel that? I got to my 50s, and apparently now I'm in the bifocal years. Uh, I just thought that people who wore those, well, uh, you poor, you poor saps, like, what must it be like to be you? Now I know, now I know, you know. Um, so, you know, suffice it to say, I've spent my life with vision problems. And I have worried sometimes that as I got older, that somehow they would, it would deteriorate and get worse until the point where I would lose my, lose my vision, you know, and I wouldn't be able to see anymore. I can't imagine what it would be like to go through my life seeing and then at some point find myself unable to see, which is actually the exact opposite of what's going to happen to the man that we're going to meet and talk about today in John chapter 9. But as often as I might be concerned about vision problems in my life or losing my eyesight, I think I often tend to forget about another kind of blindness in my life. And the Bible talks a lot about spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness is what happens to us I think when we, for example, when we have a hard time seeing other people the way that God sees them, or it happens when we miss what God is trying to show us about himself or maybe about his creation through our circumstances in life, through what's happening to us. We're missing it because of spiritual blindness. I think sometimes, and Will even alluded to this during worship, is that sometimes I don't even see myself rightly. I don't see my need for God's grace in my life rightly. Sometimes because I think I'm too good to need it. Sometimes I think because I'm too bad to get it, right? And so sometimes my blindness even affects me and how I see myself. And spiritual blindness is a blindness that we're all born with. Scripture says we're all born with that. And I think that in a lot of ways, spiritual blindness can be even more problematic for us because the thing about spiritual blindness is that we're often blind to our own blindness, right? 
which is like the Pharisees that we're going to encounter and read about in John chapter 9 today. We can't see that we can't see. And that's the problem with spiritual blindness. On top of that, I think a lot of us have our own experiences and assumptions and preconceived notions about things in life that make it hard for us to see God, hard for us to see anything the way God sees it in life. I think there are things that dull our ability to see him and dull our ability to see the world the way he does. That could be things like our ideas about race or our notions and our beliefs about politics. Could be the way that we view poverty or the way that we view wealth or even our thoughts on religion. What makes us look at each other and assume things? What makes us look at other people and assume things to be true about them? What makes us and divides us from one another? What ideas weigh us down? And more importantly, how does believing in Jesus more deeply enable us to live more freely and see God's grace more clearly? Because the more clearly we see Jesus, the more clearly we see everything else, everything else. Now, if you're looking for the first point of the sermon, that was it. If you're looking for the last point of the sermon, that was it, okay? So let's talk about John chapter nine today. We're in a series called Believe and Live. We're looking at the signs in the book of John, the ones that John wrote down and he said, I picked these. I put these in my story so that you could read them, you could see Jesus for who he is, you could believe and you could live. And that's what we've been talking about. John chapter nine is one of my favorite New Testament stories about one of my favorite New Testament guys who isn't Jesus, all right? If John 9, if we watch this as a movie or a sitcom, this guy would simply be listed in the credits as man born blind, right? He's a man with no name. And honestly, the reason that he has no name, I think, is because he represents you and he represents me. People who are born blind to the things of God until Jesus finds us, okay? In the previous chapter, in John chapter eight, Jesus had said of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And we're gonna see that truth become very specific in the life of the man that we're gonna meet today. Jesus said this while he was teaching at the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, here's a, what I call a quick feast fact for you about the Feast of Tabernacles. In the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the elements of that ceremony for the Jews, this is an annual celebration that they had. And one of the elements of that was that they would have these big candelabras all around the temple courtyard. And every night, they would light all of these candles so that the temple was filled with light. Because for the Jews, light represented the presence of God. From the time that he had guided them in the wilderness as a pillar of fire, we see all throughout uh, scripture that God is represented as light. In the New Testament, John even said in his letter, God is light. And so it was a time when the temple was filled with light to represent God. 
And in the middle of this light show, Jesus stood up and said of himself, I am the light of the world. Follow me and you'll never walk in darkness. Now, we can read that today and think, that's a nice way to put it, Jesus. That's, that's a good way. I like that. That's a nice notion. But at that point, everyone who was listening, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying about himself. He was saying, I'm God. I am the light that you're looking for. And you can tell because that exchange ended in the Pharisees saying that Jesus was demon-possessed and trying to pelt him to death with rocks. And John writes that Jesus hid himself from them and slipped away. One of my favorite phrases in the New Testament when John does it. How did Jesus do that? I don't know. Jesus had skills. I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't know. He doesn't say. He just says one minute they're going to stone him, the next minute he's gone. All right? Then chapter 9 begins, all right? I'm going to be reading scripture today from the message version, okay? Now, really quickly, if you're not familiar with the message version, it's a fabulous reading Bible, okay? Pastor and professor of Eastern languages, Eugene Peterson, wrote this. Uh, he forgot more about pastoring and Eastern languages than I will ever know in my life. And he wrote this because he knew that the scriptures were originally written in a very street-level language. And when the people, the first audiences read them, they had punch to them. They understood all of the cultural references. They knew what he was talking about, and they had punch. And he realized that as he was preaching the scriptures in the modern day, a lot of times they didn't have the same effect on his audience. So he took the time to translate with his knowledge of scripture and of God and of languages, the Bible, into a version that has punch. He wanted to have the same punch for modern audiences as the original language did for the audiences of their time. So it's a great reading Bible. It's great to have alongside. And I thought I would use this today for a little extra punch. When I'm unsupervised and Corey's gone, I can use the version I want. <laughs> and so we're going to use the message version today, okay? Chapter 9, verse 1, 2, walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be blind? Hey, Jesus, look at this poor schmo. Who sinned to make that happen, right? Who asks that question? Apparently, the disciples of Jesus <laughs> asked that question, right? Now, now, at the time, the belief in that day that sin had consequences had extended to the point of people believing that if a child was born with a congenital disorder, it was because of the parent's sin or somehow because of the baby's sin in utero that a baby would be born this way. And so that's what the disciples were thinking. That was a common belief. That's what they were thinking about when they were asked. Interestingly, in that day, it was also believed that as a seeing person, that the light that you perceived things with came not from outside, but came from your heart, came from within you. So blindness was not the result of an eye problem. Blindness was the result of a darkened heart, also a common belief in that time. 
And we wouldn't look at a baby or a person with a congenital disorder or a challenge today and ask that question, all right? That would be rude and insensitive, and we would be looked at as unenlightened at best, right? But if we're honest, okay, don't you and I sometimes look at people who are struggling and people in various situations and assume that somehow their condition or their situation is the result of their sinful choices? Even if we don't say it, that God is somehow giving them what they deserve. And the disciples, as many of us, look at this as a chance to moralize about the victim while Jesus looks at it as a chance and an opportunity to relieve someone's suffering. He sees the man clearly and tells the disciples that the blindness is not a punishment from God but it is the circumstance in which God's power and his desire to set life right through Jesus is going to be made known in this situation. Reading in verse three, I'm gonna just continue. Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame and there is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the workday is over. For as long as I am in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the world's light. He made that statement of himself again. I am the light of the world. He said this, and then he spit in the dust. He made a clay paste with the saliva he rubbed the paste on the blind man's eyes and said, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And the blind man went and he washed and he saw. So the man sent from God, sent the blind man to the pool called scent. And he came back seeing, right? People who knew him or knew of him were so shocked at the miracle that occurred in his life that some of them thought it wasn't him. Like he had a secret twin brother that suddenly appeared on the stage, you know. They were like, is this him? And people were like, no, this isn't him. And the blind guy was like, it's me, it's really me. They were like, what happened? He said, the man called Jesus gave me my sight back. That's amazing. Where is he? I don't know. Okay? Now, to be fair, there was no record whatsoever of anyone born blind ever receiving their sight again in the history, ever. Now, when Jesus fed 5,000 people in the miracle we talked about last week, more people than ever witnessed that miracle. When he healed this one blind man, even the guy it happened to didn't see it. Right? <laughs> and he didn't see Jesus, okay? Jesus is off the stage here until the end of the chapter. I think sometimes when we see life transformation in other people, we second guess whether or not it's real. 
or whether it's really from Jesus, either because of what we think we know about them or maybe because of what we think we know about Jesus, right? But the more clearly we see Jesus in the scriptures, we read how he saw others as people in need of compassion and grace first, okay? Not as people who are being punished by God, but as people who were loved by God. And the more clearly we see Jesus, the more clearly we see others. So, what do you do when a never heard of before miracle of God happens to your neighbor? You celebrate with them, right? It's party time, like this is amazing. Never happened before in the history of the world. Let's celebrate. No. You take them straight to the religious leaders to try to figure out what the heck is going on and make some sense of all this hullabaloo, or at least that's what the ex-blind man's neighbors did, okay? Reading on down in verse 13 and 14, they marched the man to the Pharisees. And this day, when Jesus made the paste and healed his blindness was the Sabbath. Uh-oh. The Pharisees are like, what happened? And the man says, the man called Jesus, he spit, he made some mud, he put it on my eyes, I can see. And the Pharisee's response, ah, well, okay then, he's not from God, he broke the Sabbath rules. I think the Pharisees should have been curious and not judgmental. <laughs> That's what Ted Lasso would say, right? Some were curious and they asked, but how could a sinner do this, right? There was division, even among the Pharisees, there was division about Jesus. And John writes about this a lot in his gospel, okay? People respond to Jesus in one of two ways. There's division among families, among groups, among everyone. And we see this all throughout John's gospel. And the Pharisees can't agree, so they finally just turn around again and go, well, what do you think about him, ex-blind guy? Who is this man? And the blind man says, I think he's a prophet, at least. He's got to be a prophet. And the Pharisees go, nah, no, we don't believe. I don't even think this miracle even really happened. Let's get this guy's parents in here. So his parents get marched in to the trial. And they're like, is this your son? What's going on with him? And mom and dad are like, yes, what a miracle of God. Our son is healed. Jesus is Lord. Nope. They're like, is this your son? And they say, mm, <laughs> yes, but we don't know what happened. He's of age, ask him, okay? Note for all you kids out there in the Jewish culture, you were a responsible adult at age 12. Before you get excited about that, you had to start paying the bills then, too. So, right? The parents, it says in John's gospel, the parents were scared because the Pharisees had said that anyone who claimed that Jesus was the Messiah was going to be thrown out of the temple, okay? And that's not, you can't come to church here anymore, all right? When you were cast out of the temple, you lost everything, all right? You no longer had access to the religious system that enabled you to be clean with God. You couldn't make sacrifices. 
you couldn't worship. If you were cast out of the temple, no one could do business with you. They couldn't socialize with you because you would be unclean because you had no way to get clean. You lost your worship, you lost your business, you lost everything if you were cast out of the temple. And the parents were terrified of this happening to them. The same parents who had had the question leveled at them all their life about their son. Was it your sin? Did you guys do something to make this happen? Or was it his? They'd been under that question their entire life. But in this instance, they were afraid. They were afraid of being cast out of the temple. They said, we don't know what happened. Ask him. I think John is pointing out that even parents and kids can divide over questions about Jesus. So they bring the man in for a second interrogation. Give glory to God, they said, which means tell the truth. We know this guy is a sinner. And the man says, look, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. I know I was blind this morning, and now I can see. I think there's a lot of power in your personal testimony. I think that's what this man is showing. You can get wrapped up in doctrine. You can disagree about Bible interpretation. But when Jesus changes your life, that's unarguable. And I think that's what we need to hold on to, a lot of us, rather than getting wrapped up in things. The Pharisees are like, that's fine, but how did he do it? This is when it gets really good, because I love me some sarcasm, <laughs> all right? Uh, and they ask him, how did he do it? The guy's response, I already told you the story once. You guys want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples too? That really riled the Pharisees up. They're like, hey, we are disciples of Moses, all right? We don't even know where this guy comes from. And the ex-blind man is like, wow, that's amazing. Like, we know that God is not just at the beck and call of sinners. But this guy restored the sight of someone who's been born blind, and that's never been done in the history of the world before. How could he not be from God? And the Pharisees go, ah, you were born blind and in sin, whatever, you're booted out. The same assumption that the disciples made about him before he was cured is the one that the Pharisees come back to at the end of their argument. So they have no argument. So they just say, you know what? You were born blind and full of sin. You got no right to teach us anything. You don't even have a right to be here. You're done. You're out. And the very thing that the parents were worried about happening to them happened to their son, right? The Pharisees couldn't see the situation clearly because they thought, they were convinced they knew all about God and how God worked and when God worked and why God worked and for whom God worked, right? They thought they had a lock on it. And the parents, again, same judgment all throughout their son's lives. The parents couldn't see the situation clearly because they were too afraid of loss. And they were too afraid of what other people would think of them. And really, even the ex-blind man 
couldn't see the situation clearly yet. But his testimony was unshakable. And the more everyone else was shutting their eyes to the light of the world, the more his eyes were opening. He started off his story and it answered and talked about the man called Jesus. And then as he was questioned by the Pharisees, he said, he's a prophet. He must be a prophet at least. Second interrogation, he said, he's from God. His vision was clearing. I mean, what a day for this guy. He woke up blind again. He was cured of his blindness, a God miracle. The response to that, he was brought in to trial immediately in the temple, and then he was thrown out of the community. What a day. But God was using every circumstance in this story to make it clear to the man and to everyone who Jesus is, including us. And the more clearly we see Jesus, the more clearly we see our circumstances in life. And just when the man had gone from a life-changing miracle to a life-changing catastrophe, Jesus finds him again. He appears as suddenly as he disappeared. Read with me down in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and went and found him. He asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man said, point him out to me, sir, so that I can believe in him. Jesus said, you're looking right at him. Don't you recognize my voice? Master, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped him. This is the only instance in the Gospels of someone worshiping Jesus during his earthly ministry. Not just thanking him, but worshiping him, something that was reserved for God himself. The blind man saw his Messiah. His journey from darkness to light was complete, if you prefer the Star Wars version. <laughs> right? The blind man could now not only see Jesus clearly, he could see himself clearly in light of Jesus, someone who needed rescuing, someone who had received God's grace. And Jesus then said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear so that those who have never seen will see. And those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. Some Pharisees overheard him and said, does that mean you're calling us blind? Are you talking to me? Jesus said, if you were really blind, you'd be blameless. But since you claim to see everything so well, you're accountable for every fault and failure. People who can't see God will be made able to. And people who think they can see everything about God will find out that they are blind. The Pharisees knew that Jesus meant them, and they challenged him on it. But Jesus says, it's because you're convinced that you can see what God is like. 
that you're really blind to what God is like. And you're blind to your blindness. So the more clearly we see Jesus, the more clearly we can see ourselves. Now, we've talked about in the series, and I hope you guys remember, that John wrote the purpose statement of his gospel in chapter 20, verse 31. John begins to talk about the signs that Jesus did. He says there's way more signs that Jesus did than the ones that are in this book. But these are the ones that I included. John says these are written down so you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. John's already shown us that people responded to Jesus in one of two ways. They were either moving toward him or they were moving away from him, okay? They were drawn towards the light of the world or they hid from it. And here's the thing. You can be someone who's far away from Jesus and still moving toward him, even just a little at a time in how you see others, in how you see your circumstances, and in how you see yourself. But you can also be someone who's been very close to Jesus for a long time, and you can be moving away from him in your view of others or your circumstances in yourself. Because John didn't just leave us his gospel so that we could believe and live with Jesus in eternity someday. That was part of it. But he also left us his gospel so that we could believe and live like Jesus here and now. Amen. Right? In the act of believing, we can have real life now in the way that Jesus personally revealed it. I encourage you guys to read the Gospel of John this week and look at how Jesus lived his life here on earth. Look at how he treated the people he encountered, especially the known sinners, okay? Look at how he responded in faith to criticism and suffering in his life. Look at how he undeniably and forever answered the question, any question of God's love for you and me at the cross. And consider what that means to your life today and whether, whether or not you've followed Jesus for years now or whether or not you're still trying to figure out who he really is. Look at the life of Jesus. See him more clearly. Because the more clearly we see Jesus, the more clearly we see everything else. And Jesus didn't just show us how to live life. He gave us his Holy Spirit so that every one of his followers can live life like he did. Early this year, we did a series together called Dream Again. Pastor Corey talked to us about dreaming again as a church and pushing out into the things that God has for us as individuals, as a church community together. I dream of a church, an entire church, devoted to believing and living 
like Jesus, right? Imagine what could happen in here if every one of us treated everyone we met as someone worthy of compassion like he did. Imagine if everyone here looked at our circumstances in life, good or bad, not as a reward or a punishment, but as an opportunity to give glory to God like a light in a dark world. And what if all of us saw ourselves as someone rescued and renewed by the gospel each day, okay? Even each moment, even in the moments we are failing. And in that moment, we circle back to the cross where grace is waiting for us the instant that we need it. Imagine what we could do together here and out there, believing and living like Jesus together. Amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.